This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Greetings to those who watch below. Before we start today's video, I'd like to say a huge thank you and give a shout out to those who dwell below, an exclusive channel membership that you can check out using the link in the description box. So thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, M.A. Way, Julie B, Jess Black Curtain, Christina Groves, and Matthew Colgan. As you may remember, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned about new videos coming on Instagram. These will be known as Brimstone Bites, and will be very short videos explaining certain paranormal phenomena or entities. They will be starting as soon as I'm all set up in my new house with my new office, which, fingers crossed, should be within the next couple of weeks. But for now, sit back, relax and enjoy some truly terrifying police paranormal encounters. The Rundown Abandoned Farm by Anna Quay Tawapa I am an Ohio State Police Patrolman, and on July 23, 2009, I was on patrol in Clark County. I was on my way to the Clark County OSB barracks to deliver paperwork on a case that was continued from Union County. While en route, everything flashed on my unit and my car stalled, but I was able to coast to a farmhouse on this county road I was travelling on. I coasted my unit into the driveway and saw an elderly gentleman walking out by the barn. He looked my way, but continued into the barn. I tried to get my unit started, but it was completely dead. After trying to reach dispatch on the radio with no luck, I noticed a high power pole transmission line adjacent to the property. I knew my handheld was useless, unless I got far enough away. So I opted to try to use the farmer's phone, since I couldn't get a cell signal either. I walked out to the barn, where the old man had entered, and hollered, Hello? as I was opening what appeared to be the door to the milk parlour. Looking in, I again hollered hello, a little louder than before. Not hearing anything, I turned to walk to the house, to see if maybe I missed him. But as soon as I turned around, he was standing behind me, which, I'll admit, startled me a little. The man had no expression on his face. When he asked if I was having car trouble, to which I replied, Yes, and asked to borrow his phone. He pointed towards the house, and told me we could walk there, or use the milk parlour if I wasn't going to be long, because he was getting ready to milk, and asked me if I wanted some water while I waited. I said yes and thanked him. I said the parlour would suffice. I followed him into a barn, and he walked out through the barn while I used his phone. I told dispatch where I was, and to dispatch a wrecker, and was told they would have a wrecker out in under 60 minutes. As I hung up the phone, the farmer was coming out, wiping his hands on a grease rag, where he said he was working on the pump motor for the milking machine. I told him what dispatch had said, to which he told me to let him help push my car onto the road, so that they will find it. I told him if it wasn't in the way they could grab it there, to which he replied, Nay, they never look in the driveway, so we best push it to the road. 
He told me I could set my glass on the picnic table, then to get in and steer and he would push. Since it was on a downhill slope, he pushed it fairly easily. Once on the edge of the road, I sat with my cruiser until the tow truck showed. The driver gets out of the truck and is looking up at the farm all nervous and says, we need to hurry and get out of here. I assured him all was okay. When we arrived at the barracks garage, everyone was standing around outside. Everyone acted concerned about my well-being, asking how my adventure went at the farm. I said it went fine. Well, did you talk to the old farmer? Everyone wanted to know. I said he didn't chat very much, and he helped push my unit to the street. Everyone went to look to the patrol car, now released from the wrecker. I asked, what's the big deal? The wrecker driver looked at me and said, you don't know? I said no. So he told me that in the early 70s, a farmer shot himself in the milk parlour of that old farm, and nobody has lived there since the mid-80s due to it being haunted. I said, no way. An officer told me to jump in his patrol car, and we'd drive back up there. Long story short, it was a run-down abandoned farm, with dust and cobwebs everywhere, and not a living soul anywhere. I had him pull into the driveway, and there, sitting on the table, was my glass, where he had told me to set it. I walked to the barn, and the milk house was covered in dust. But oddly enough, the phone had fresh prints, like it had been used. I picked the phone off the cradle, and it had no dial tone whatsoever, which really startled me, and I said, we can go now. But, he being a paranormal hunter on the side, was full of questions. When we arrived back at the barracks, my car was repaired. It turned out the positive cable had come off the starter, and where the old man pushed my car were greasy handprints. I've driven back there, and the house is gone. Apparently someone torched it, but to this day, it still gives me the heebie-jeebies. Palace of Westminster by GJS1967 Being a serving police officer, I'm usually quite sceptical when it comes to far-fetched stories, but, as this has happened to me twice, I can't discount it as my imagination or being overtired. After a long shift with seven hours before the next one started, I decided to stay over at work. We have a basement room with folding beds for occasions like this. By the way, work is the Palace of Westminster, better known as the Houses of Parliament. This building has been there since 1097, so there is an awful lot of history to the building and surrounding areas. After settling down for the night, I had turned off the lights and drifted off to sleep. I recall waking up some time later and feeling a presence in the room with me. At first I thought nothing of it, until suddenly I felt this presence pressing down on my chest, forcing me into the mattress. I felt like I was paralysed, unable to move my arms or legs, and was physically unable to move any of my body away from the mattress. This seemed to last for about 30 seconds, until I was able to regain my mobility. I put the lights on, opened the door, and spent the rest of the night drifting in and out of sleep. In the morning, I put this down to my active imagination. Over the next few days, I mentioned this to a few colleagues at work, who also used the room, and they too said they had felt a presence in there, although nothing physical had happened to them. One of these would only sleep with the lights on and the door wide open. So much for a big brave policeman. Apparently a contractor on the building had hung himself in a basement room, and had only been found three days later. I have been unable to confirm 
if this was the same room. A few weeks later, whilst again on sleepover, the same events occurred. Only this time, with a little more knowledge, I was slightly better prepared, with more calmness than I expected, considering I was being forced into the mattress again. I said, I know you're here. I don't want to harm you. I just want to rest before work. With this, the pressure was released, and I have never been bothered by this presence since, although I am still wary when sleeping there. Whilst on about work, there is one place I try to avoid on night duties, the West Front Corridor in the House of Lords. Every time I walk down here, I can again feel that there is a presence in the area. The heavily wood-panelled walls just seem to close in on you, and I expect something to jump out on me at any point. Although this is in a newer part of the palace, built around 1840, it is only 10 metres away from Westminster Hall, the oldest part of the palace, where King Charles I and William Wallace stood trial before execution. So there has been quite a history of violence within its walls. What my father saw made me a believer in the paranormal by Hoya Carnosa Compacta. My father is a policeman, a no-nonsense guy, who lives very much in the here and now, and believes in only what he can see and feel or hear himself. At the time of this story, he was in the police force for more than 20 years, and I was a teenager. My father worked night shifts, and on a regular basis, he would come home in the early morning to have breakfast with us, before he would go to bed and we would go to school. He would usually be in a good mood, and tell us funny or interesting stories from his day or night at work. This morning he was unusually silent and didn't eat either. My mother asked if he felt alright. It took him a while to actually answer and he said, I'm not sure what I experienced tonight. He didn't want to say any more in front of us kids, but we prodded him long enough until he told us the following. It had been a quiet night and he was out with his colleague in a police car. At some point they were informed over the radio that a car chase was going on not far from them and that their assistance was required. They drove off towards the chase and soon caught up with the suspect's vehicle. The radio had informed them that two men were in the front of the car. My father's car pulled up almost beside the car so that he managed to get a good look on the inside. He saw the two men in the front arguing heatedly with each other and then he saw another man in the back. He had no hair and was so pale that he seemed almost white. He was dressed all in black and when he looked directly at my father, his face was almost pressed against the window with very dark eyes and he grinned wildly. My father was deeply unsettled by this person. He seemed to look directly into my father's eyes. My father was so sure of this third person that he informed the other police cars about him. The chase ended with the car crashing into a fence and the suspects fleeing into a field. They were apprehended only minutes later. There were two men, not three. My father asked all his colleagues at the scene if they were sure there hadn't been another guy. Nobody else had seen the third man. I can't explain it, he said to us. I saw him as clear as day and he grinned at me like death himself. This took place in 2004 or 2005 in Germany. To this day, we have no logical explanation for what he really saw and experienced.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Haunted K-9 Unit of Police Station by Schlein. This story takes place at my mother's work in the building that houses the K-9 Unit and the radio control room where the 10111 emergency calls are taken. First, I will tell you my experience in the radio control room, so bear with me. Before this room became the 10111 Command Center, it was the logistics office where my mother worked as part of the administration staff. The layout is pretty simple. It's right at the end of a very long hallway. As you enter through the large wooden doors with clear glass panelling, you walk directly into this massive room housing the employees. When I was around 12 years old, my mother fetched me after school and took me back to work with her as she was working late that night and didn't want me home alone until late. I don't remember what time it was, but it was already dark outside. Bored with myself, I sat in the middle of the room and spun around on one of the office chairs. I had a clear view of the door and all the way down to the other end of the hallway thanks to the glass panelling. As I spun around and faced the door, I saw a man, right at the other end of the hallway, walking from left to right. As he did this, he looked directly at me before entering the small passage that led to the other offices on the other side. I ignored it, thinking it was just another employee working late like my mum. Besides, besides, the lights were on in that side of the building, so there must be someone working, right? Wrong. Again, the man walked by, but this time from right to left, and again he looked directly at me. I mean, this was like two minutes after he initially walked from left to right, and we didn't hear any doors being unlocked or locked. I turned to my mum, who had her back to the door, and asked her who the man was. She asked me to describe him to her. He was a tall white man with dark hair and a slight belly. He was wearing a blue and yellow checkered shirt with beige work pants. She told me not to worry about him and to come and play on the computer next to her. Later on, a few years later, I overheard my mother telling my aunt that John was walking the hallways at work again. As I continued listening, I realised she was talking about a paranormal event, and I, loving the paranormal, asked her to tell the stories. This is what she said. There was a man working on that floor who suffered from deep depression. Somehow he had gotten hold of one of the officer's firearms and shot himself in the men's toilets. The suspicions were that the firearm was given to him, but the investigation died off. My mother told me that she believed I saw him that night roaming the area where the men's toilets are. She didn't want to let on that I scared her that night, so she said just not to worry. Now that I think of it, I remember there was something odd about the way he was walking. His legs were moving, but his body didn't move with the strides he was taking. It was kind of gliding. Fast forward to the beginning of 2012. The old logistics room was now converted to the 10111 command centre, on this particular night, there were three ladies on duty, taking any emergency calls that got diverted to the command centre. 
the woman sitting closest to the door said that she kept hearing footsteps up and down the hallway, but it wasn't possible as the entire floor was locked off by a gate on each end of the hallway. This was done to ensure that there was no unnecessary noise during the dealing of emergencies. Anyway, the other two ladies eventually heard the footsteps too, but none of them were brave enough to go check it out, as they knew the story of John. After a while, the two older ladies, in a friendly way, bullied the youngest of the three to go see if the captain in charge over them didn't come upstairs to check on them. She went to check it out and walked all the way down to the other end of the hallway and came back very quickly, reporting that no one was there. Now the ladies started to get a little freaked out. Later during their shift, after the footsteps had died down, one of them needed to use the ladies' room. She was too scared to go on her own, but knew the other two couldn't leave their post in case calls came in. She manned up and went to the ladies' room, which is situated opposite the men's room on the other end of the hallway. When she tried to leave the restroom, the door wouldn't open. This door can only lock from the inside, and the latch was open. She got so scared that she cried and banged on the door. Luckily, the other ladies heard, and one of them ran down to the toilet and opened the door without any hassle. That lady that got trapped was pretty shaken up, but decided to remain until her shift was over. Ghosts of Murdered Highway Patrol Officers by Chim Chim This event happened when I was maybe three years old. My mum was cleaning around the house. When I came out of my room, I asked her to come to the bathroom with me, because I had to potty, and there was a man in there. So she went with me, and couldn't see anyone, but she asked me to describe the man. I told her the man was a policeman. She asked me what his colour uniform was, because she knew the colours worn by the different law enforcement agencies, sheriff's department, local police and highway patrol. Before I was born, my mother had been a dispatcher and deputy for the sheriff's department, where we lived in Northern California. I said the man's uniform was tan, which meant highway patrol. As we left the bathroom, I pointed into my bedroom and said, there's another one in there. I described how the men had been shooted with a shoot gun, one in the elbow and stomach, one in the knee. From the fact that two murdered CHP officers appeared to be hanging around in her house, my mum knew exactly who they must have been. After all, she didn't know very many people who had been murdered. Some time passed, and my mum told this story to a friend of hers, who still worked for the sheriff's department. The fact that one officer had been shot in the elbow was one of the details that was withheld from the public as the cops investigated the crime. Even my mother hadn't known about that, but because of that, she was able to confirm her guess about the two identities of the dead officers. On December 22nd, 1978, the two officers, one of them a friend of my mother's, had made a vehicle stop on a stolen car. The driver somehow managed to get control of their weapons, shot one in the knee and one in the elbow, disabling them, and then killed both with their own service revolvers. The officers were not expecting a fight and were caught off guard, and theirs was the only CHP car in the county that night, due to state-mandated cutbacks in nighttime patrols. At the time I saw the ghosts, the case would have been just going to trial. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like, and if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel, making sure to hit that notification bell. 
Also, if there's a particular subject you'd like me to cover, let me know in the comments section. And if you have a story that you'd love to share with the channel, make sure to send me an email. I've popped it in the description box. So, until next time, sleep tight. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.